Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not a Genre, the interview edition. This is, I believe, that's right, the 26th interview in the series. Uh, if I'm counting correctly, thank you as always for watching and listening. Don't forget you can support this podcast and my band Rex Music at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. You can support the audio version of this podcast at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. The public hub for much of this, especially these podcasts here is youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. And of course, there's always my website, nickdimatteo.com, where you can get pretty much everything. Last but not least, uh, certainly not least, most important to me, please support my band Rex Music at recarea.bandcamp.com. With me today, I'm very excited about this guest. We've been uh, kind of bouncing back and forth a little with a few things here and there for the last year or two. And finally, we're able to get this schedule together. It is John Kieran Fernandez. He is a musician, label owner of Cloud Recordings, and the father of musician artist Jeremy Kieran Fernandez. John, how are you today? I'm doing well. That's great. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for saying yes. I, I send out, uh, you know, a handful of invitations and I'm always excited when the people that I want to talk to say yes. So thank oh. you. Well, thank you. Yeah. So now you are uh, in Athens, Georgia, you said. That's correct. Yeah. That's great. Now, um, I, you know, the only reason I want to start there is because I know that that uh, has a there's a rich history of music in Athens. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I certainly don't know everything. Uh, you probably know much more than I do, but I know from my, at least from my, you know, teens and twenties, uh, you know, listening to bands like REM and, and, you know, those have that have roots in that area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The B-52s, Pylon, right. Big Chestnut. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. And uh, a, a personal favorite of mine. This is just a side note, especially for anybody who's a fan. I did a podcast uh, episode a season or two ago on uh, this guy, Matthew Sweet, who's not from Athens, but he spent a lot of time in Athens way back in the 80s and actually worked with uh, Michael Stipe and some people down there. Yeah, I read that off Michael Stipe's Wikipedia page just recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's probably where I read it, too, or one of those pages. So uh, I, I usually start by asking my guests how we know each other, but we don't really know each other, do we? Uh, no, no. Yeah, I mean, not we, yet. 
Not yet, exactly. That's so we're we're hoping to get there in this interview. Uh, what what I found just really uh, endearing, frankly, and other than I follow your posts on uh, Facebook, and it's it's it just everything you you share is so positive. Oh, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and it, whether it's about the music or about something from your life, and I love that, and and that kind of trickled over into. I want to say it was last year. You sent me a happy birthday message with, yeah. uh, I think the a song about Sagittarius or something like. That. Yeah, yeah. Mary Lou Williams did a whole Zodiac suite where she did a piece, a piano piece, um, for each sign of the zodiac. God, that's so cool. And that's something that I didn't know about at all. And, and uh, uh, yeah. um, my friend, the jazz musician from the Gold Sparkle Band, uh, actually turned me on to uh, her stuff. He shared the track Scorpio, and I became so enamored with that. Uh, when I saw the CD popped up at the record store where I worked, Walk Street, I got it and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. That's great. God, and thank you for sending that. That just not only because it was a nice birthday wish, but it opened me up to that entire suite of music. Awesome. Thank you. So um, then why don't you, in, in whatever this means to you, interpret it how you wish, tell everyone your story. Um, well, um, my mom told me that when I was around three years old, like right after learning how to walk and talk, I asked her if I could take violin lessons. I actually requested that I take violin lessons. So by the time I was about four years old, uh, I started taking violin lessons from this lady, Susan Keen, and I took violin lessons from when I was four years old until junior high. Uh, and then in junior high, I took saxophone lessons for two years. Um, and then in high school, um, I was friends mostly with a group of girls. I was, was not tough enough to hang out with the kind of skater crowd and all the guys at my school. They're all in the sports and stuff like that. So I hang out mostly with girls uh, and then, but then I became friends with a lot of older people that went to Louisiana Tech. Scott Spillane, who later joined, formed the Gerbils and joined Nutramoke Hotel. Uh, and John Dazzle, we had an early band called Smile and Joe Fission. Uh, and then um, I started the band Sock the Monkey with my friends Beth Sale and Lucy Calhoun, who happens to be the mother of my first child. Um, and then uh, I was playing bass um, with Scott Spillane at a coffee shop in Monroe and Bill and Will of the Olivia Tremor Control um, were moving back to Athens. They had lived here for a while and then had moved around some other places and were moving back to Athens. And Bill came through Louisiana. They're both from Ruston, Louisiana. And Bill saw me playing bass with Scott and said, hey, Olivia Tremor Control needs a bass player. Would you want to come up and play with us? And I was about to have my first child and wanted to raise him in some place other than Ruston. Uh, and so I left at the opportunity and came up here. And at first, when I came to town, we all lived in a group house together, me, Bill, Will, and our partners. Um, and I, I was only 19 at that time time so I spent two years kind of in solitude because I was too young to go to bars I just worked a bunch saving up for the birth of my first child 
um, and hung out with Bill and Will. And we practiced. We had a drummer at that time named Kelly Noonan. And we would practice at her space. Um, but she didn't ever want to tour. So eventually, uh, Olivia Tremor Control... I've, the first Olivia Tremor Control thing I appear on is the Giant Day 7-inch. Um, that was kind of a prelude to our first album, Dusk at Cuba's Castle. Uh, and then I recorded on Dusk at Cuba's Castle, and we started touring. And at that time, we brought in Eric Harris to play drums and Peter Urchik to play keyboard. And Olivia Tremor Control, we had some really tight tours. We were we were really kind of scraping by, but then we started getting, uh, we started doing a bunch of tours with apples and stereo, our friends from Ruston and neutral Muck hotel, also our friends from Ruston. And then we got on some good opening slots. We opened for Beck on the Odelay tour opened for stereo lab on part of the Cobra and phases group tour did a show opening for REM. So things started happening for us pretty quickly as well as we went, in the late 90s, we went overseas uh, and played in Europe seven times. And then actually once Bill and Will went to do an interview trip. Uh, and so they went eight times, but the rest of the band only went seven times. And then we got a chance to play Japan once as well. So um, it, it all was pretty exciting for us, a real exciting time. Yeah, that's a real, um, it, it does, it seems like all that happened in a pretty short period of time too yeah yeah uh now you uh you mentioned you, you mentioned olivia tremor control of course neutral milk hotel and apples and stereo and i want to make a comment to the the you know people watching and listening that this all this all connects because uh a few uh, several months ago, it might have been the year before last, I don't recall exactly, I did uh, a podcast episode on uh, Elephant Six and the those bands that have been associated, you know, uh, with that group. And it caught the attention of a guy uh, on Facebook named Patrick Fleming. Yeah, yeah, he's doing a uh, fan-made film dedicated to the first Olivia Tremor Control re record, Dusk at Cuba's Castle. Yeah, and he showed a preview of that um, a little while ago, and it just really got me so excited to, you know, see the finished product. I hope, you know, I hope whatever, whatever he's working on to get it together comes together soon, because that's just, I think a lot, a lot of people will want to see that. Uh, yeah, that's exciting. Um, there's also a book on Elephant Six out now called Endless Endless, A Lo-Fi History of the Elephant Six Mystery. And I highly recommend that. Ooh, uh, I am probably going to be getting that. <laughs> endless cool. Endless. Endless Endless. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And um, yeah, and so what happened, I think, was that I, you know, Patrick and I went back and forth and I ended up doing um a, a double cover like uh stitched together of two of the green typewriters from dusk at cubis castle nice yeah really fun and he's including that in that and then i think that's sort of how i connected with you and you know this is where we are today uh oh good 
Yeah, it's it's what I like about things like this is that the the entire objective for what I'm doing here is connection, and these are connections that are happening because of music. Awesome! Yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. thing. Now you mentioned uh, a few things. First of all, you're a multi instrumentalist, right? Yeah, um, with Olivia Tremor Control, I would play bass, clarinet, violin, saxophone. Do some backing vocals. I've been on some of the uh, EPs. I played some keyboard as well. Nice, nice. Uh, and, and I, I've seen some of that online. And then you also sent a link to uh, some music that you did with Shane Parrish, uh, where you're on clarinet. Yeah, that's the most recent thing. If you go to my Wikipedia page, it lists everything I've played on. I think I've played on around 90 releases, oh, wow. um, which most most people who are aware of me are familiar with the Olivia Tremor Control and the band associated with that circulatory system. But uh, I really encourage people to go to my label's website, Cloud Recordings, and check out some of the other things uh, I've played with, I've played with Dreamboat, Old Smokey, New Sound of Numbers, Supercluster, Jacob Morris, Moths, Lavender Holyfield, a bunch of stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I was able to check out, uh, well, first of all, that the band camp for you and Shane Parrish. And everyone should listen to that. That's just some great music and, and you know, just surprising elements here and there. And I the first instrument that I picked up after starting on piano with my father and, and voice was a clarinet for some reason. Uh, I think it, I think I was inspired by Artie Shaw. Awesome. I recently bought uh, an Artie Shaw 10 inch that I got at a flea market. Um, it's a beautiful 10 inch and it plays on 33 which is nice because my turntable doesn't play on 45 so when i saw that it was on 33 i was like oh i'm gonna get this it was only a dollar too oh man what a find that's great yeah yeah and and so i i didn't necessarily stick with it but i still have that clarinet so it was exciting to me to see you know someone you in particular you know being passionate enough about the clarinet to actually do an entire you know recording with it. Yeah, it's well, because I took saxophone lessons, as I was talking about earlier, in yeah. junior high, but I never owned a sax. On Olivia Tremor Control stuff, I played a sax that I was borrowing from Andrew of Elf Power, another Elephant Six band. Um, but I ended up with a clarinet, so I've, um, you know, played that all these years. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, I, I think it's one of those instruments that don't, doesn't get as much attention because the saxophone is everywhere. Uh, yeah. 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 So it's nice to hear that. Now, another, just a small question here, because I uh, heard you mention that one of the first bands I think that you formed was Sock the Monkey. Yeah. So was that inspired by the, the name by the Peter Gabriel song? No, that um, it was actually inspired uh, years ago in Rustin, um, the band Beat Happening came and played um, actually at Jeff Mangum of Nutrimark Hotel's Invitation, who he was music director at the college radio station there, KLPI. Um, and um, they sold a cassette um, that had a track on it called Sock the Monkey. And I thought that was neat. My early band was real kind of K-influenced. 
I was playing guitar actually with that guitar and bass and some drums. Um, and it was real K influenced kind of lo-fi fuzzy pop. Um, but, uh, I kind of started exploring further things like a lot of jazz and world music later on. And so if you listen to either of my solo records, those are more influenced, um, by, um, a lot of world music and jazz and minimalism and stuff. And that's any, can people listen to that anywhere? Yeah, yeah, it's on Spotify and YouTube, and then of course on my Bandcamp page as well. That's great, and um, and on and they'll see some of that on the Cloud Recordings site too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my solo albums are actually on the Cloud Recordings Bandcamp. I've got two sites: both the Cloud Recordings website and the Bandcamp page. Oh, okay, okay. I want to check that out in particular. Um, I mean, I'll probably just, you know, I'll be streaming it as well, but I always like to, to do Bandcamp first. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I have to say, I didn't get to hear all of what, you know, was on the cloud recording site, certainly, because there's a ton on there, and it seems like yeah. an interesting array of of bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was talking with my friend Shane Parrish, who I sent you the link to that, how I'm still trying to get people to grasp that I went from a psych pop rock folk musician um, to doing kind of free jazz or improvised music with freehand and my friend Alec Lividitis. Uh, And then now I'm doing solo shows with kind of ambient minimalism where I loop the clarinet and I hear some parallels between that and Brian Eno's discrete music where there's non-synchronous loops going on. Mm-hmm. And then I some, some, sometimes pre- step outside and practice with the birds. So there's lots of bird sounds uh, played or bird-like sounds played on the clarinet with my soul music as well. Oh, that's incredible. I, uh, was, I think some point last year, I, I think it was because I was reading a book. Uh, there's a book called Why You Like It. And it's, you know, all about why why people like particular kinds of music and the science of of that and and the psychology and philosophy of it and uh it links it to various genres and crossover genres and things like that and it mentioned minimal, minimalism and i kind of got into that some awesome. now, i'm blanking on there's a very famous composer and i'm blanking before, even before brian eno and i cannot remember who it is uh, let's see. There's Terry Riley. There's uh, Philip Glass. Steve Reich. Oh, Steve Reich. It was Steve Reich. Oh, okay. I had li- I had list- I had heard some Philip Glass when I was way back when I was in college. But yeah, Steve Reich I think was somewhat new to me, so it was pretty exciting to hear that. What I find really I, encur- encouraging, I'll say, about minimalism in general is that you hear the word, you have a certain idea of what it is, but it's not necessarily what you might think. And, and to me, that's because there's certain kinds of music that have, that have, you know, loops and, and, you know, uh, whether it's certain kinds of EDM or, or what have you that do incorporate elements of that. But generally there's a, there's a kind of a, stricture around the repetition that they do in that kind of music. Whereas 
I have just found with a lot of minimalism, the way loops overlap, the things change so slowly that you almost don't hear it happening. And then all of a sudden you're into a different realm of sound. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. And and I love that because I, I'm, all you know, repetition is huge for me. I wrote a song about it even, you know, I understand the importance of it in in music and in, in life in general. But to me, repetition with variation is really where it's at. You know. Yeah, yeah. I like the entrancing nature of a lot of repetitive music. I'm really into a pianist named Mel Waldron, which on the Eric Dolphy Booker Little Live at the Five Spot recordings, he gets into this entrancing repetition, which is so beautiful. And I love his solo record as well called The Quest that features Eric Dolphy, uh, in particular a track called Warm Canto. Ooh. I know Eric Dolphy. I don't know. Mal Waldron. No, I don't know Mal Waldron. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. The Quest. Uh, for the listeners out there who don't, or aren't, you know, consuming this on video, I'm writing things down. This stuff is too important to, to let pass. So. Oh, that's good. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. So, yeah. So with the cloud recordings and... I have particular interest in this because I'm always looking for, you know, new labels and all of that. Is there any specific restriction you put on the music that you incorporate there or requirement, or is it there a sound that you're going for? Like what, what's that? about? Um, It's kind of grown more broad over the years. Um, What started as kind of experimental pop and rock and folk and stuff. Um, with some cassette releases I've done recently, I did a cassette by NIM that was kind of, we called it Appalachian Minimalism, um, which had some Appalachian qualities, but also had some minimalism qualities. And I recorded that here in my living room where I'm sitting right now um, on four track. Um, and that cassette, except for one copy at Wuxtree Records is now sold out. Huh. Um, and then... I released some American primitive, like kind of uh, that John Faye or Robbie Basho style stuff um, by this guy, Jacob Sunderland. Uh, and I still have copies of that cassette. Um, and it's kind of American prim- minimalism. Um, I mean, American primitive um, combined with experimental sounds and it features the son of the inventor of the Buchla synthesizer on that release as well. Oh, whoa. Okay. And when were these released? Um, just in the last couple of years. So uh, you have released music. And now you mentioned both of them have been released on cassette. Yeah. It, now, that, uh, that was a choice. Why did you make that, that choice? Well, um, just because on the label, um, Olivia Tremor Control and Circulatory System has always done well. But a lot of the other releases, I just kind of was getting more and more boxes of stuff piling up around my house, upstairs at the record store where I worked, uh, all over the place. I was kind of getting all these boxes of stuff. And I was like, okay, I need to start releasing smaller runs uh, and in a cheaper format just because of the economics of it. And plus, I just like cassettes. That, 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 and that's kind of what, I, what I'm getting at because I, you know, I did an episode on formats and I talked about how everyone has their favorite format. And in general, the important thing 
is not necessarily any format, but that there's a way to listen to the music because that's that's why you're doing it is to is to absorb and listen to and have the experience of listening to music. But growing up in the era I did and being, you know, old enough to remember before CDs came along, I there's a special place in my heart for cassettes. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of my recording on four track cassette. Uh, so I've always just loved the cassettes and stuff like that. There's even an Elephant Six band called The Music Tapes, um, <laughs> which I don't know if they've ever released anything on cassette, but they probably should at some point. Yeah, it sounds like they should. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, wow. I had a four track. I did most of my, you know, probably 15 years of recordings on just that before I, you know, came over to this monster computer. And uh, I have seen in small shops an increase in cassettes being sold both kind of ret- in a retro way, like older, you know, older bands re-releasing things, but even I think more so and uh, more exciting to me, newer bands choosing to release their material. Yeah. they are a lot more e- economical. I remember doing a post at some point that um, cassettes are totally punk rock. Like, they're a cheap way to get your music out there. And they're just um, aesthetically very pleasing. Um, and it's kind of subverts the kind of corporate nature of music and whatnot by the, just the, how anybody is accessible to these things. Like uh, you might not be able to pay to get a, a vinyl pressed, um, but you could probably, you know, just putting away a little money afford to either press, make cassettes yourself or um, get a small run pressed of those. Now, I haven't looked at that recently at all. It's been so long since I've, you know, even considered that. But the so a cassette run is it's cheaper than vinyl and it's, it's cheaper than CDs as well. Um. CDs are pretty cheap too, but not that many people listen to CDs anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, the funny thing. And you know, why and it really, because if CD is a digital representation of music, so is any streaming service. And if you're lucky enough to be able to afford a streaming service that uses the higher quality files, you're kind of getting what you'd get on a CD anyway. So. Ah, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, poor people who are listening. You're going to have to wait a second because I need to, this is too exciting for me. So I'm going to show this because uh, I'm a little bit of a, uh, an obsessive about it, but these were some of the cassettes that I had done. Awesome. Just starting out, you know, it's like these, these are the things that, Real, but this we're talking ninth in the nineties. You know, this is yeah. the last time I had cassettes made. Wow! Yeah. You should do some more. You should do some more. I want to. I want to. Um, I you know I have more questions for you, but I'll just say that I'm putting I'm putting out a compilation album of my band's bigger whatever songs, and then another one of of cover tunes. And people have asked me about physical copies. And I think if I do that, that's going to be cassette for sure. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. You've inspired me. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So now uh, I, I think 
there, I'm hoping that there are two classes of people who are watching or listening to this. One would be people who have no idea who you are or where you come from or really much of uh, anything about the history of any of the bands you've been in or any of the music you do. And then, you know, two would be, of course, people who already know you and already know, you know, some of that. And I think I fall somewhere in the middle. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's a good place to be. I have I had some knowledge of, you know, as I said, Elephant Six and Olivia Tremor Control and the various bands other associated. I, I have heard of Circulatory System, uh, but I don't have, all you know, a whole lot of the, the detail or nitty gritty. And I, I don't think this needs to be kind of a history lesson, but I would love to know anything that you can impart to people who don't have any idea what Elephant Six is or uh, Olivia Tremor Control, what any important points or things you might want to say about Well, Elephant Six started as a group of friends in Ruston, Robert Schneider, Jeff, Robert Schneider of Apples and Stereo, Jeff Mangum of New Tremor Hotel, Will and Bill of Olivia Tremor Control would just make these recordings for themselves and just trade them amongst each other. And then eventually we grew into, I'm also from Ruston, but I'm a little younger than those guys. Um, so I didn't join Olivia Tremor Control until about 94, 95. Um, and um, it kind of grew. We signed to other labels, but would still put the Elephant Six logo on it. So the main thing about it is friendship. That's amazing. That 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 you can feel that. And I I I guess stumbled across uh, Olivia Tremor Control probably with Dusk at Cubist Castle. Awesome. And immediately kind of dived into well the for the music first of all. But then where does this come from and what, what's this logo and what does all this mean? And it was, you know, there was enough there in stores, but even even kind of the earlier days of the Internet where I could find things out. And that led me to Apples and Stereo and, you know, of Montreal and some of the other bands. Um, and I've been following several of them ever since then. And what I what I seem to feel from the music, but also from anything I've read is that there is that, that continued connection and sense of friendship and, and mutual support. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a band of mutual support. Now you said you joined late in Olivia Tremor control. When, but when did they form? Um, let's see. They put out their first seven inch. It was the trio of Jeff Mangum, who later formed Nutrimook Hotel, um, Bill and Will. And then they put out a split single that was just Bill and Will with the apples and stereo. And then I joined for the third release, the seven inch giant day. And then I'm on everything past that. Okay. Okay. So yeah, still relatively early, I guess, in their career. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I noticed that uh, you posted, I guess, two days ago that it was uh, Bill's birthday. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, and he just coincidentally was born the same day as my brother, uh, and but in the same year as I was born. So, Whoa, okay. Yeah, there's like two separate connections there. And uh, I remember 
I guess it's been what about a decade now since he died. Yeah, yeah, it's been about ten years. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I remember when that happened because I I'm always interested in bands who have been around for a while, maybe take a break, do other things, and then come back together to do yeah. more. You know, and it was a period where I was kind of looking forward to that, and that was yeah, that was sad for me and i'm just i'm just a listener you know oh uh, yeah yeah that was just really it kind of turns my world upside down like uh we we had just played a bunch of shows um played pitchfork um played the georgia theater and then i got the call a few days later that he had passed away um, and we were planning on working on our third record and planning on touring the world and everything like that. And then just everything got upended. So. God. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, yeah. And, and that's one reason why I, you know, I wanted to talk about this is just, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the best, the best way to honor Bill is to just listen to the music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I noticed here on your uh, Zoom uh, video that the name you have listed is Jeremy Kieran Fernandez. Yeah, that's my son. So I have three kids. You have three kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how old are they? Um, Robbie is 26. Um, Sophie is 22. And... Oh no, twenty three, and then Kieran is twenty one. Oh, okay, okay. I have three kids as well: twenty two, um, eighteen, and fourteen. So. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. So now you you mentioned you you asked me to mention as part of your intro your son Jeremy. Why is that? Um, because he is a musician. He plays with a band called Immaterial Possession, which their vinyl is available on the Cloud Recordings website. Um, and he also is working on three solo records right now. And he's wow. also a visual artist as well. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, does some of his visual art end up on like the the records? or? Yeah, yeah. Um, on my second solo album, one of his... Um, drawings is on the slip cover that went on that. And then if you look in the gatefold to signal morning, he did some artwork on that. And then a lot of stuff on the cloud recordings Bandcamp page has artwork by him too. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I just coincidentally, when we were uh, breaking here, I went back on the cloud recording site because I, I couldn't get on earlier today for some reason and the first thing that popped up was Immaterial Possessions. Yeah, yeah. They actually just signed with Fire Records uh, out of the UK that put out Early Spaceman 3 and um, Nutrimark Hotel in Europe and stuff. So that's kind of exciting. Wow. Yeah, that is exciting. And have you worked with him as well as um, like music-wise? Um, no. Um, I... Um, haven't played on any of the records, but they did put out the possibility of me playing some violin on their new album. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. You know, I have a, I have a son, uh, my middle child who is uh, pursuing a career in music. He's going to Cleveland Institute of music for classical voice. Awesome. 
And on a few of my recordings, I asked him to, you know, sing a little backup or what have you. But it's funny that he really it's it's that age or in particular or personality where he's got his thing. He's pursuing his thing. And that's what he does. And I do what I do. And we and he respects it. But he's not all that excited about, you know. <laughs> working with dad. Yeah. Oh, that's uh me and my <laughs> son uh did a tour together which is really neat. Um Ooh. we played vintage clothing shops, we played art galleries, we played animal sanctuaries. It was a dream come true. My god, that does sound like a dream come true. Yeah. Uh What a what a great experience to be touring with your kid. Yeah. That yeah. My dad's a musician, and I got to perform with him a whole lot through, you know, throughout my life. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, with I noticed on the, I think it was on Wikipedia, that you started this label, Cloud Recordings, almost like over 20 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, in 2001. So, so 21 years ago. What prompted you to start the label? Oh, uh, to put out the very first circulatory system album. It kind of goes into this in the Elephant Six book. Um, but um, we, uh, Olivia decided to take a break and I played a show with Bill, Will, and Jeff Mangum of Neutromic Hotel uh, with Will, um, Jeff, and me. It was a trio. That's what it was. Okay. Uh, and then I was like, Will gave me some cassettes of some stuff he was working on called The Age of Mud. And I was like, this stuff's really good. We should do a record. And so I borrowed the money I was supposed to use to go to college for my mom. I borrowed $8,000 from my mom and then another $4,000 from my ex-wife. And we, in the early days of cloud recordings, I was doing everything myself. I was doing all the press, distribution, mail order, uh, everything. And um, it turned out so successful that we continued putting stuff out that's incredible we're, we're on 31 releases now with two releases coming up uh, um icy demons cassette and a robert schneider cassette oh wow okay yeah. this this something uh the, for those of you who don't know uh robert schneider is of apples and stereo and that's always been if if someone asks me what quote unquote indie or lesser known bands are you listening to that you would recommend to people usually somebody from elephant six pops up and very often that's apples and stereo oh that's nice that's a good band yeah yeah and there's there's kind of a yeah like that that kind of um bright popness to a lot of what they do which yeah yeah um and so now robert schneider's working on something solo is that right uh he recorded it and we're just trying to get the artwork together now it's um more uh experimental it's with stuff in a scale that he created a non-pythagorean scale wow so it doesn't use the the regular tone system intervals and stuff oh my god that's incredible Mm mm-hmm Cause I read now that I, I, you never know if what you read is true. Part of the reason why I don't do a ton of research for any interview guest is because um, you, I'd rather get it from the source, but also because a lot of what's out there is stuff that people tend to ask people already. And I'd rather talk about what just pops up in conversation. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. And I, but I did remember reading uh, when I was 
doing the podcast on it way back that Robert Schneider was a, was, is, or was a teacher. Yeah. He's a teacher, a mathematics professor. He's got his doctorate. That is so cool. I, um, now is that I guess that convergence like math and music converge in a lot of ways but that is that what inspired him to to make this new scale um well he's always been interested in it um but um he wanted to and he's released some things um some like link sections that are in this and whatnot but he wanted to do a full record of it wow yeah that's incredible that's great yeah, I, you'll have to let me know when it's coming out because I'm definitely going to be listening to that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Do Now, uh, tell me, everyone, about uh, this uh, project that you did with Shane Parrish. Oh, okay. Uh, he uh, just moved to town at the beginning of the pandemic, and I've been to some of his shows, and we played some shows together, and we decided to do a collaboration. And it was really nice because we just started the record, pressed record, and just started playing. And the first notes you hear are the first notes we ever played together. And just he's such a good improviser that it just turned out really nice. Like um, there's lots of moments where we really link up, and it just uh, it it's one of my favorite things that I've played on for sure. Wow. Yeah. It, and I, I think it's the kind of music that, that, that bears repeated listening and not just mm-hmm. because you're going to discover things that you didn't hear the first time, but because it has a depth to it that you just can't completely get on first listen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of neat because it's not really improvised music. It's not really American primitive. It's not really jazz. It's kind of a mixture of all those things. And so it's kind of interesting. That is a that's a great way to describe it, because I heard all of that in there. And one of the you know hallmarks of what I do on this show is the title itself, which is music is not a genre, is what kind of there's so much music that falls through the cracks in a, in un, to me an unfortunate way because the, the the industry on the whole is so strict about well we have to classify you so we can market you and then what happens to the people who are doing music that has a mix like, like this, that isn't easily classifiable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, yeah. Another group I've played with called old Smokey was kind of like that. People thought from the name and because we had a banjo in it, that it might be bluegrass or something like that, but it's real different. It's like, you know, elements of the monks and, um, uh, Velvet Underground and uh, Bollywood music and Middle Eastern music and New Orleans music, all this kind of mixed together. Oh, wow. That sounds vibrant. Jeez. Yeah. What a mix. Do you feel uh, like, because I don't, you know, if, if a musician says, just uh, offers up voluntarily, uh, this mu- my music sounds like this. That's awesome because it's coming from the heart. That's what you want people to know. I don't I don't like asking people, tell me what kind of music this is, you know? Yeah. Would you say, uh, so I'm not really asking that, but would you say that uh, a lot of the music that you um, fold into or accept at Cloud Recordings has that quality of being a mix of things? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a really good record on the label called Ice and Demons, which is not really post-rock. It's not really jazz. It's not really indie. It's kind of just a lot of the stuff on the label is um, Super Cluster 2, which features members of Pylon and the New Sound of Numbers. Um, it's got mandolin in it. It's just a mixture of all these different things. A lot of stuff on the label is like that. Wow, that's incredible. That's I, you know, there's little wins here and there of musicians in particular speaking out more about not feeling like they need to follow any certain, you know, rules, even if the rules are self-imposed. And a lot of people who have, uh, you know, mid, let's say mid-level careers tend to, uh, you know, be pressured to sound the same on everything they do, you know? Yeah. I think if you're way up there and you don't give a shit and you're playing whatever you want and you don't have to worry about success because you've had it, you can be a David Bowie or whatever and just do something different every time. And if you're if you're down where I am, you know, you can pretty much do whatever you want because there's there's a freedom of not having to hold to a certain, uh, you know, um, persona or. Yeah. Uh, when with the with the bands that you work with, do you feel like they pretty much give themselves the freedom to just do whatever comes to mind? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't think there's ever been any kind of uh, concession to um, pressures of of you know you guys should do this or you should do that. Any of the groups I've played with have always done whatever feels good and natural to us. It, it that's wonderful and i think that that kind of aesthetic and and feel and philosophy that to me i mean yes it's been around forever but it was embodied in a very strong way in the 90s by all of the bands associated with elephant six um it has you know resurgences periodically but it seems like right now for some reason there's a real strong sense that people are looking for something other than the norm. Oh yeah. Uh, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, I did do a post just recently how um, on that last Nutramark hotel tour where circulatory system was opening, I was playing for crowds as large as 19,000 people. And mm. most of the time these days I'm playing to about 12 to 20 people. Uh, so it's kind of eye opening, but uh, got to still keep doing what I'm passionate about and I'll play for two people if, um, you know, they'd listen. And so I do music for myself and if anyone wants to listen, then I'm happy with that. That's great. I love that. And I think, I think it's more compelling to the people who are looking for music when they're finding things to listen to that are created because the creator just loves doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is no, there's no time limit. There's no other, other requirements other than this is, this is what is coming from me or my group. And I want people to hear it, but it, but first and foremost, I want it to be out in the world. Yeah. 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 That's great. The, now I get, yeah. I mean, I guess so neutral milk hotels last tour was when. Uh, that was, probably about six years ago or something, I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, 
And so you were making a comparison between the kind of that kind of tour with the larger crowds and then some of the music you're doing now with the smaller crowds. And, and, uh, you know, you, you're saying ultimately it doesn't matter because you're out playing music in front of people and sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. I do it first and foremost for myself. Like uh, it's wild. I was telling my friend Claire recently that, um, See, I'm in kind of panic attack season where a lot of times in spring and summer, I have these really horrible panic attacks. And I was having one before our show where we played together. Um, But as soon as I started playing this meditative, instrumental, um, ambient type music, it soothed me and the panic attack went away. So there's actual physical, you know, I'm doing it because it actually soothes me. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's not just incredible because it works, but because you are so aware of the fact that this is something that you physically need. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's just kind of a restorative self health, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had one the other day and I went live in the middle of it. I was telling my friend Courtney that, um, I uh, was having a bad panic attack and I was like, I'm going to play some music. And I just went live right in the middle of it. So, Oh, wow. Oh my God. And so what happened? You, you go live, you're in the middle of attack. Then what happened? Uh, As I play the music, it just kind of drifts away. So God, incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. That's the zone that you get to. Yeah. Peace. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I work with a guy. I think, well, there's two things really. One is I like hearing you say that you've played to crowds on both ends of the spectrum because a lot of the people that I know and that listen to this and watch this colleagues and such are, uh, have mostly played to crowds, you know, from two to maybe a few hundred, you know? Yeah. And it can be, uh, it can it can be discouraging to some of them who are looking more to to you know generate more success and make a living at it to feel like well I need to have these numbers and and all of that and I guess in some degree sometimes you do but that you can create a life and an existence and a musical you know uh, flow and and path playing to whatever n- number of crowds you do yeah yeah. Um... It's like I'm in it for life. I think I'll play music until I'm old. So yeah. Yeah, damn right. Yeah, my so my uh, dad is semi-retired, but he played a gig this past Saturday at the age of eighty, and I feel awesome. Like if I if if I can do what he does in in my capacity, then I'll be a happy guy. You know. Oh, that's awesome. And then the second thing that kind of brought up was uh, this. This drummer that I worked with recently, his other job is as a, I think he called it a music therapist at this hospital uh, group in Brooklyn. And because oh. I'm, you know, I'm in New York City and he uh, said he kind of fell into it because uh, I, I don't know if it was a relative or friend was in the hospital and he was visiting frequently and the person was sleeping most of the time and, and he asked the nurse if he could just play some music as sort of a nice comp compliment to maybe soothe, even if uh, she couldn't, you know, wasn't awake. There's some part of her that could hear it. 
And he did. And eventually the hospital said, is this something that you would want to do more often? And now he uh, not only plays for uh, for patients, but he does classes there where people who are either recovering from an illness or who uh, have one or another mental health issues get together in a group and do various music activities. That's a beautiful thing. Music it, yeah. really is a healing force. It it is. And and I think hearing, you know, what you're doing isn't just, you know, healing you. You know, you are also affecting the people who are listening to it. And they can feel that transformation that's happening in you. And it affects them, too. Yeah, yeah. People have always told me that my solo shows could go on for longer. I get nervous that I'm stretching people's attention spans and fade out. But some people are like, oh, I could listen to that for hours and stuff. So that's always You're, nice to hear. That's wonderful. And I mean, to me, it's, you know, if that's the case, it's because you are locked into something that's so organic that it feels like it's it's meant to be there. And so are the people listening to it. So, yeah, play on, yeah. you know, that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that's great because I think um, we can talk a lot about, you know, music as a business, but music is. And or even music as an art, but music as an experience, music as existence. Yeah not something that people talk a lot about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, when you, so you said that you started with, uh, Olivia Tremor control, you were younger than, than they are. You said, yeah, right? yeah. I, I started when I was 19 years old. I was born in 75 and Bill was born in 68. So I'm seven years younger than that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you're closer in age to my, to my wife and I'm, almost the exact same age as Bill would have been. So, yeah, that's, uh, did you feel like they had, they had been around that they were kind of like older brothers in a way? Yeah. I've looked up to them a lot. I still do. Um, and, um, I almost kind of saw Bill as kind of a father figure to me because he taught me so much about playing bass and, um, just about music and life in general. Like, um, so not only did I lose a friend and a bandmate, but I kind of lost someone I really looked up to as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you, um, well, a couple of questions. Do you, do you, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but do you have a favorite instrument to play? I like to switch it up. I like, clarinet violin bass um and on my solo record i played some drums some keyboard and some guitar um i like to just switch it up i like the variety i don't really have a favorite but i just like the just kind of rotating aspect of going cycling through different things do you find that helps you to be able to switch to an instrument and it kind of gives you more inspiration for what you're doing? Yeah. 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 Cause I've got a particular sound kind of like Eric Dolphy had a particular sound on flute, on bass clarinet and on alto sax and on clarinet on some stuff too. Um, and I feel like I have a different sound on each and I like to just kind of mix up the worlds. That's great. I love that. You're treating each one as its own entity. You're not trying to, like when I, when I started on guitar, 
having done piano for so long, the initially it was a hard transition because I was thinking like a pianist, you know, and, yeah. and I had to let the guitar kind of speak to me and say, no, this is a different instrument, you know, and yeah. now I'm pretty much on bass all the time. And I've just fallen in love with that instrument. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So now um, you, you've mentioned uh, Will often, Will uh, Cullen Hart, right? Yeah. What's he up to? Um, we played together just recently at for, for that book that was I was talking about, the Endless, Endless Elephant Six book. Yeah. Um, there was a reading from that at our public library here in town. And we played some old Olivia Trump control songs with him and A.J. Griffin. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. So, um, wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. It can, it, can people get the Endless Endless book anywhere? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Just a, a quick search online will turn up. Uh, it was put out by Hatchet Books, and they have on their website links to all the places you can buy it. Oh, good. And it's okay. even available as an audio book, too, if that's your thing. Who did the audio? Uh, I think it's read by three different people. You have your choice. Um, I haven't listened to the audio, but I saw that on the site that you have your choice of listening to it read by three different people. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Who, uh, well, whose idea was it to create this book? Uh, the guy, Adam Clare, that wrote it. Um, he actually lived in Athens for a while. And the book is really good, really good, really a lot of in-depth um, interviews and information about a lot of the lesser known elf and six groups as well as the more popular ones so it's really nice it's really nice that i think that's kind of i mean it's invaluable because most people who know elephant six know the the big ticket you know names but don't necessarily know that there are way more bands associated yeah yeah yeah, did have you anyone ever done it? Has anyone ever done a count of how many bands? Or, you know? uh, people have attempted to put like diagrams with all the you know the main bands and then all the yeah. projects related to them and stuff like that. But it's kind of amorphous. It's kind of hard to really tell, like because there's some groups that feature members of other groups, but they aren't really considered all and six. A lot of the stuff on cloud recordings is like that, where I play on it so it could fall under the Elven six umbrella, but uh, it's kind of a cloud recordings thing as well. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot of offshoot kind of things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I weird, just so weird. Um, right now I noticed that the pattern on your couch, there's a swirl yeah. that looks like a six. Oh yeah. I see that. It's yeah. crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Wow. What a, what a weird. Yeah. Um, well, geez, I mean, is there anything that we haven't gone over that you'd like people to know, whether it's about your music or, you know, life or anything or anybody else's music? Um, well, uh, I encourage people to follow me on Facebook and Instagram because I have quite an extensive record collection and I'm posting things of it. And sometimes I'll speak a little bit about it. Um, and I just definitely encourage people to kind of take a deeper look into a lot of the things that influenced and inspired the music that I'm into and whatnot, um, the music that I play and whatnot. So, yeah. 
That's great. I've noticed those posts as you're always posting about other music, which is very yeah, cool. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to include uh, the links to the you the links that you gave me, but also the link to the book and the link to your Facebook and Instagram as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, because I I think yeah, I'd love people to be able to connect with you like that. Uh, well, this yeah, this has been absolutely great, and I can't thank oh, you. Oh yeah, thank you so much. You're a delight. Oh, thank you. You too. You too. Is I've been looking forward to this because, and I'll say it again because it bears repeating. You just everything you do, you give off a vibe of, of just uh, I don't know inclusiveness, connection, and love, and that just. You know. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So yeah. Thank. Thanks again, and um, you know. We'll keep in touch for sure, you know. Awesome. And thank you, everybody out there for watching and listening. As always, uh, this is Nick DiMatteo and John Kieran Fernandez, an awesome guest. Please check out every single link and listen to all of the music as much as you can, as much as you can get your ears around. And uh, I will talk to you again next week. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.